0: In a couple of weeks' time, 12 European teams will play against each other for the last three remaining places for the 2022 Qatar World Cup. Well, actually, I think there's going to be 11 teams because Russia has been kicked out because of what's happening in Ukraine. And on those days, thousands of fans will, will gather at those stadiums to support their teams. They will loudly sing their national anthems, chant the names of their favourite players, scream at the referees, and jump up and down with their arms in the air if their team scores a goal. One of them on uh, doing all of that will probably be my brother-in-law. He's followed the the Scottish team uh, all over the world for years. Not Rangers, is it? Not Rangers, the Scottish team. (laughs) And so I don't think he's going to miss out on this opportunity to see if they can actually achieve the goal of, of qualifying for a World Cup after an absence of 24 years. So I think he'll be there, at the Hamden Park, but I won't. Yeah, I'll be pleased if Scotland get through. And I'd like to see Poland get through as well, just in case you didn't know. Uh, so, <laughs> unfortunately, Ireland doesn't have a chance of getting through. They're not in And I might even catch the highlights on YouTube, if I can get find it on there. But it really won't make that much of a difference to me. You know, I've always enjoyed sport, but I was never a fanatical fan. It's just not my priority. It's just not that important to me. Now, you might agree or you might disagree with me about soccer. But what about when it comes to Jesus? How important should he be in our lives? Is it okay for us to just half-heartedly follow him from a distance? Catch the highlights, so to speak. Just, Just come to church now and again. Sing a few of these beautiful songs. Maybe even put a few euro in the box at the back and then just go back to our everyday lives. Or does Jesus deserve something more than that? Is he really worth our wholehearted devotion, our enthusiastic worship, our passionate commitment? Well, that's what David believed. Saul and Jonathan had been killed by the Philistines. And so David's, David was long, at long last had been crowned the king of Israel. Just as God had promised them, maybe about 25 years previously. And David had led his people to victory against their enemies. But David wasn't content with all of that. There was something missing in Jerusalem. And David was committed to fixing that. So David faced the giant of half-hearted worship. And we're going to read from Second Samuel chapter 6 today. And Tony's going to come up and he's going to read our passage this morning. So it's Second Samuel chapter 6 from 1 down to the end of the chapter.
1: David again brought together out of Israel, chosen men, 30,000 of all. He and all his men set out from Bala of Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God which is called by the name the name of the Lord Almighty who is enthroned between the cherubim that are on the ark they set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab which was on the hill Uzzah and Ahio, sons of Abinadab were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it and Ahioh was walking in front of it David and the whole house of Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord, with songs and with harps, lyres, tambourines, sistrums and cymbals. Uh, when they came to the threshing floor of Nakon, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the Ark of the God of God, because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act, because God therefore God struck him down and he died there beside the ark of God. Then David was angry, because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah, and to this day that place is called Perizuza. David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, How can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? He was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead he took it aside to the house of abed to the Gittite. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of abed to the out for three months, and the Lord blessed him and his entire household. Now King David was told, The Lord has blessed the household of abed and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went down and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. David wearing a linen ephod danced before the Lord with all his might, while he and the entire house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michal, daughter of Saul, watched from a window, and when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. After he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. Then he gave a loaf of bread a cake of dates and a cake of raisins to each person in the whole crowd of Israelites both men and women and all the people went to their homes when David returned home to bless his household Michal daughter of Saul came out to meet him and said how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today disrobing in the sight of slave girls and of his servants as any vulgar fellow would David said to Michal it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from this house, when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people of Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified in this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held of in honor. And my daughter of Saul had no children to the day of her death.
0: Thank you very much, Tony. (laughs) David clearly valued this thing called the Ark of God. He went to great lengths to bring it into Jerusalem, his capital city. So what was so special about this? Yes, it was very ornate, covered in gold with two cherubim on top, and it contained some important objects. The two tablets of stone that had been written on by God were the Ten Commandments. Aaron's rod that had budded and a jar of manna. But that wasn't why David valued it so highly. Instead it was because it was a symbol of God's presence. This is what God had promised Moses above the cover between the two cherubim uh, that are over the ark of the testimony i will meet you with you and will give you all my commands the ark was the place where god would meet with his people in the most powerful ways and that's why it was kept behind it was supposed to be kept behind the curtain In the most holy place in the tabernacle. God was so present above this Ark of the Covenant. That only the high priest could enter into that most holy place. Only once a year. And only with a blood sacrifice. But for many years this Ark of God. This powerful symbol of God's presence. Had not been kept In its rightful place. A number of years back it had been captured by the Philistines. Then when they eventually returned it. It was kept in a place called Kiriath-Jerim. Which was often inaccessible. Because it was within enemy territory. So in wanting to bring this ark of God. Into his city. David was expressing his desire. For the presence of God to be right at the very heart of his nation. He wanted it at the very center of his life. Of course, David knew that God had been working in his life for a number of years. In protecting him. In giving him uh, the victory. But David wasn't content with that. He wanted more of God. He wanted greater intimacy with Him. That's why he often expressed in the Psalms. Like in Psalm 63. O God, You are my God. Earnestly I seek You. My soul thirsts for You. My body longs for You. And that's because he knew That nothing else could satisfy his heart. That no one else was as important as God was. He went on to say in this psalm, Psalm 63, Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. So I wonder if this is our desire this morning. Do we long for God's presence like that? Do we passionately want to experience deeper intimacy with Him more than anything else in our lives? Of course, we don't need an ornate gold-covered box to experience that. We don't even need to go to Jerusalem or any other special place. To experience God's presence. Jesus said to the the woman at the well, announcing a new day, He said, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain, their sacred mountain, nor in Jerusalem. And He went on to say, when true worshippers will worship God in spirit and in truth. So we can approach God wherever we are. But is that our deepest desire? Do we hunger for God's presence? This was the Apostle Paul's longing. He said this in Philippians chapter 3. I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection. And the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings. Becoming like Him in His death. And so somehow, to attain to the resurrection of the dead, this was his deepest desire to know Jesus more, to experience more of his presence, more of his power, to suffer with him, to become like him, and ultimately to be with him forever. And this should be our passion too. This is why we should be eager to read our Bibles. Or to spend time in prayer. To come to church. Not as some kind of religious duty. Certainly not to try to earn brownie points with God. But because we want more of Him in our lives. We want Him to be the centre of our, of our lives. We want to live each moment with Him. Because our hearts long for Him. Because our souls thirst for Him. Because His love is better than life. But you know, as we express that wholehearted longing to be with God, So amazing to realise that God's longing is to be with us. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus prayed an amazing prayer in John chapter 17. And as part of that prayer, he said in verse 24, Father, I want those you have given me To be with me where I am and to see my glory. Jesus longs for us to be with him. After all, this is what heaven is all about, isn't it? Where God will dwell with his people forever so Jesus encourages us, or James encourages us, come near to God, and He will come near to you. God loves us, and He longs for an intimate relationship with us. So the question is, do we long for that with Him? But as we do this, we need to approach God correctly. To bring the ark of God to Jerusalem, they set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab, it says in verse 3 of our reading. But when that oxen pulling the cart stumbled, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God. Now, it seemed to be a sincere attempt to stop this ark, this precious object, from falling. But this act brought a serious consequence. Verse 7, the Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down and he died there beside the ark of God. As a result, David was angry with God and afraid of him. And he stopped the procession in his tracks and he left the ark there in the house of Obed-Edom. But really, David should have known better. This procession, even though well-intentioned, had ignored God's commands. The law that had been given to Moses had described how this ark and the rest of all of the tabernacle furniture should have been transported. It said in Numbers 4 and 15, for example, The Kohathites are to come to do the carrying, but they must not touch the holy things or they will die. So the ark was only to be moved by the Levite family of the Kohathites. They were to do this by these long poles that were inserted through rings attached to the sides of the Ark of God. And this allowed them to to carry them on their shoulders without actually touching the Ark. This is because the Ark was holy. It was set apart to belong to God. It so symbolised God's presence that to touch it would mean to die that's because as sinners we just can't breathe into God's presence any old way God is so holy he's so different he's so pure that we cannot enter into God's intimate presence just as we are this is what the prophet Isaiah discovered When he saw God in his awesome splendor. It was an amazing vision. But Isaiah was distraught. He said, woe to me, I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. He realized that he could not survive in God's holy presence no one can who has sinned in their lives and that's why Uzzah died that day when he reached out and touched that ark it was as if he burst into God's intimate presence it was as if he gate crashed heaven itself And so his sin condemned him. And he suffered the wages of it. And that's what we deserve too. Because in ourselves, we too stand guilty before a holy God. We too are unclean. All the things that we've said or done or thought, Our attitudes as well as our actions. All of our sin bars us from God's presence. Like Uzzah, we too deserve to be struck down. We deserve death. For all eternity. But there's amazing news today. God has provided a way to himself. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's because Jesus took upon himself our sin. He took the punishment that we deserved on the cross. Jesus died in our place instead of us being struck down. He was struck down. So if we put our faith in Him, we can come boldly into God's holy presence. So the book of Hebrews, chapter ten, says this: since we have confidence. To enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. By a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain. That is his body. And since we have a great high priest who is over the house of God. Let us draw near to God. With a sincere heart. And full assurance of faith. Folks, if it was up to us, we could never, ever draw close to God. We'd be like David and Isaiah, afraid and fearful of coming to God. But Jesus made it possible for sinners like us to come to Him. Not by bringing God down, not by by minimizing God's holiness but by washing us clean and making us holy and fit for God's presence. This is the amazing gift of God. And if you're here this morning and you've never really accepted this gift, maybe you never really fully understood this gift, if you've never put your faith in Jesus, then please don't wait any longer. Don't try and keep coming to God your own way. Instead, put your trust in Jesus and experience His forgiveness and be welcomed into His family. But if, like me, you have accepted this gift, then why would we want to hang back any longer? Why would we not just take full advantage of this amazing gift from God? Why would we not draw close to Him with reverence and awe and celebrate His love and His grace in our lives and worship Him with our whole heart? And that's what David ultimately did. He heard about God's grace that had been poured out on the household of Obed-Edom because they had the ark of God. So David went down and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. This time he followed God's commands. The ark was carried in the proper way There were sacrifices of thanksgiving and praise. There were shouts of celebration and trumpet blasts. If he could have, he would have had an electric guitar look at, I'm sure. And David, wearing a linen ephod, danced before the Lord with all of his might. And no wonder... Considering all that God had done for him. God had chosen him when even his dad overlooked him. God had given him amazing victories over all of his enemies. God had kept him safe through that trial of running away from Saul for years. And he established him as the leader of his people. God deserves nothing less than His wholehearted, enthusiastic, passionate worship and praise. As David wrote in Psalm 103, Praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being. Praise His holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. surely God deserves our enthusiastic and wholehearted praise this morning. Because if we have trusted in Jesus, then we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. We've been chosen to belong to Him from before this world began. We've been given Christ's victory over sin and over death. We've been held securely in His hand and nothing and no one can ever separate us from His love. And we've been given the privilege of serving in His kingdom as well as the future certainty of reigning with Him in glory. God is worthy of our wholehearted worship. And not just For a Sunday morning when we sing these songs of praise. But in every aspect of our lives, as we present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing in His sight. God deserves our everything, every day of the week. just finally if we are going to live this way then we need to be willing to overcome the criticism of others as this procession entered Jerusalem Michal watched her husband dance before the Lord but she despised him in her heart this passage doesn't say why I don't think it was because his dancing was really bad. Maybe it was because she was still grieving over the death of her, of her dad and her brother, Saul and Jonathan. Maybe it was because she was heartbroken over the husband that she'd lost when she was given back to David, her first husband. That her life was tragic. Or maybe it's just because she didn't understand how God was worthy of all of this praise. Maybe she didn't just grasp how amazing God truly is. But for whatever the reason, after David had brought the ark of of God into the tabernacle and offered his sacrifices to God and then given gifts of food so that everybody in Jerusalem can join in that, that celebration, he returned home to the stinging and sarcastic criticism of his wife. How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today. Talk about a downer, eh? After the height of that day of worship, coming right down to earth with a bump. But David wasn't defeated by this. Do you see what he says in verse 21 22? I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this. David wasn't doing that for the approval of Michal, his wife. Nor of anybody else. He was worshipping the Lord. And so all that mattered was how God viewed and what, what he had done. So he was willing to humiliate himself to become as undignified as he needed to be if it was going to bring honour to God. And if we are going to be wholehearted in our worship and praise, that we are going to face criticism from others. People are going to accuse us of being too passionate, too driven, too fanatical, Too over the top. Too too into that Jesus stuff. But if God is our focus, it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. Because we're not trying to impress them. We're not trying to to get a good reputation with them. We're not trying to make a name for ourselves. We're just here to honour God. And to glorify his name. So today let's face the giant of half-hearted worship. Let's long for God passionately. Because his love is better than life. Let's approach God correctly. Because Jesus is the only way. And let's worship God wholeheartedly. Because despite what other people may say, whatever they might think, He deserves all the honor and all the praise and all the glory and all of our worship.